you may be seated. There is a touch of God in this room. How many feel that peace of the Lord? Anytime the peace of God starts moving, trouble somehow get pushed out of your mind and out of your thought. And uh, someone asked me to play the harmonica today, so I'm going to. And uh, when I start singing, I want you to sing along with me. about last week about a word fitly spoken I'll preach I'll finish that today I, while I was preaching I felt the Lord moving here specifically and a call of repentance come to us when I was preaching about Cain he said if you do well will you not be accepted he said if you do not well sin lieth at the door when we hit that point last night God began to move and I just stepped out of the way and let God do what he was wanting to do so glad for the power of God's spoken word Amen. Everything we need is in that book, isn't it? Amen. Again, so glad to have all of our guests that are here. And, and uh, my friend Michael Steen, so glad that he's here. Appreciate him being here today. Just uh, served with him on a board for many years. And 
He's a difference maker. And I appreciate him taking time to be here today. Thankful for what he's done for us. He, he was president of the bank, of the community bank for many years and has helped us uh, in so many ways. Y'all remember when I told you about the dream I had when we were going to Crooksville that I drug my feet and a lady, uh, I dreamt that a lady with short hair bought the Crooksville Church and turned into an art center. Do y'all remember that story? He told me last, a few weeks ago, he said, Pastor, remember when y'all were going to buy the church in Crooksville? He said, there was, the art center was going to buy that and I talked him out of it. I didn't know that for 10 years, but God had showed me that in a dream. Isn't that something? We're so glad you did because we're so thankful for what God has done in Crooksville. Ten years later, I found out that that dream was certainly true. We got that building and now, and they helped us, helped us get the loan to refurbish that and to save that building after the beam collapsed. Aren't we glad to have him here? Thankful for everything he's done for the anchor churches. Thank you. We appreciate you. The Bible says in verse 11, and uh, a word fitly spoke. A timely word. A right on time word. How many's ever been discouraged? You know, I, I've, I've noticed in life that when you get low, the devil always shows up. Because he's a snake. He's got poison in his mouth. And if we're not careful in our low moments, we'll listen to the wrong mouths. Some people have poison in their mouth. And what I mean is that when you're low, that's when it shows up. I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about right now is the devil. He's a voice of discouragement. But there's another voice. Amen. I feel like preaching. I feel happy right now. And a word fitly spoken is like what? Apples of gold in pictures of silver. And you may be seated. I like to preach on a word fitly spoken. Apples of gold. Everybody say apples of gold. The Bible says that you are wonderfully and beautifully made. Look at your neighbor and say you're wonderful. Tell somebody, tell somebody near you you're beautiful. Some of you thought, I've been waiting to hear that for a long time. Well, there's your, there's your opportunity. Just believe them. Amen. We're in the house of God. You can't lie. Look at your neighbor and say, I like your hair. Come on now, somebody tell me that right now from the pulpit. Thank you. Thank you. Finn told me one time, I've told you before, he said, Daddy, I don't want to go to your barber. He was sitting on the couch looking down at my head. He said, I don't want He thought the barber messed me up. Brother Michael, if you're watching, Finn thinks it's your fault. A word fitly spoken. In, in reality, that there are moments in life that we find ourselves discouraged. It, it's real. And um, it's real. Discouragement is a part of life. It's, it's unexpected moments that come in our life. And we don't feel that we are where we need to be or we don't feel we're up to where we need to be. Maybe haven't accomplished what we should by specific age and discouragement sets in. The Bible talks about that death and life are in the power of the tongue. When I was a kid, they, they, they would make statements in elementary school like sticks and stones. I mean, remember that. May break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's never been a far, uh, there's never been a, 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 a false as great as that. I mean, no, it's not true. Words do hurt, but I haven't come to talk about hurt words today. I've come to talk about encouraging words. And he said that a word fitly spoken, timely. Some commentators may believe it means goodly advice. Maybe it could apply to that, but I don't believe it means just advice. I believe the principle is that a word fitly spoken brings value to where there was already value. That's why it's an apple of gold in a picture of silver. They didn't have pictures like we do. What that meant was a solid plate of silver. Everybody take your hand and get your picture out. Come on, get your picture out. You know, this is what you do when you're getting your camera out. You want to make sure it's in the 
in the frame. Everybody get your picture out. Help me real quick. But it's a picture of silver. What that means, it's a solid plate of silver, a carving in the silver plate. And I said it last week that some, some translations say apples and gold in a basket of silver. That's not what it means because I've got the microphone and I'm one speaking right now. It means apples of gold carved into the picture of silver. What is it saying? You, you are already valuable. You're wonderfully and beautifully made. You were made in the image of God. In his image he made male and female. He created them in his own, everybody shout, image. And God said, I've already made you valuable. When you took your first breath, you were valuable, Adam. You have value. And what I've learned is that the devil, from the moment that God has created us, his goal is to discourage and to devalue us. He wants you to feel worthless. He wants you to think you're better off dead than alive. He wants you to think you, you've never done anything good. He wants you to think that, that there is no future. But I got news for the devil. There's another word in the room that says you are valuable. You do belong to me. You are my child. I do have a plan for your life. Someone once said when the devil brings up your past, you ought to bring up his future. How many's ever had a past that made some mistakes and if we're not careful that's where the devil hones in he begins to speak to the insecurity of who we are saying you are a nobody you, you are not worth anything you've done too much bad you've done too much wrong God doesn't even love you that's a lie for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'll take it a little further. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't it amazing? He looked beyond all of your, your mishaps and all your mistakes and all your sins and he saw value. I ripped a $20 bill last week. I didn't realize it was illegal. Lord, forgive me. I didn't tear it up. I just tore it. And I asked the young man, I said, I've, this, this, this $20 bill has some flaws. I've torn it. Do you still want it? He had to make up his mind whether he wanted it or not. Finally, he said, yes, I want it. I said, why do you want it? He said, because it has the same value. Just because you've had some tears in your life, some failures in your life, doesn't mean that your value has changed. You are still valuable to God. And you're valuable to your family. You're valuable to the people around you. If we're, not, if we're not careful, we will listen to the voice of hopelessness. If the voice causes you to feel hopeless, it's not of God. And Isaiah said, whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. I don't know what I'm preaching to today. I just feel like preaching to everybody. Failure is not final in God's book. How I many know he's a God of a second chance? Would you clap your hands and thank God for it? When you read from the book of Matthew chapter three, we see this. When Jesus was baptized, the voice of God speaking. And in Matthew chapter three, verse 13 says, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. To be baptized of him. Why was Jesus baptized? I was on a plane one time and got in contact with a guy that's now friends of mine. And, and he told me, he said, when he found out I was a preacher, he said, why was Jesus baptized? I said, he wasn't baptized to remove his sin because Jesus had no sin. Jesus was baptized to be our example. And the Bible says to fulfill all righteousness. How many know baptism is essential? Jesus even said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Even Jesus chose to be baptized because that's God's plan. Amen. That means submerged in water. That's what it means. Baptismo. It means to be submerged in water. But John forbade him, saying, I, hold on, Messiah. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. I mean, no, that's what we would say to the Lord if he walked up to us. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answered, said to him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill. Notice us, to fulfill what? All righteousness. Baptism is a part of righteousness. It's a part of doing right. It's God's commandment. 
Amen. It's just city water, but when you get baptized, it becomes the obedience of the Word of God and you get a supernatural experience. I don't get baptized because of something he's done. I get baptized because of something he's going to do. It's sort of, it's sort of baptism is sort of like uh, when, when Naaman the leper, who was uh, a captain in the Syrian army, he was a leper, and somebody told him, said, I heard of a man of God that can pray for you and you can get healed of leprosy. He come down, he had about a million dollars. He's ready to pay the preacher to get him healed. And, and, and uh, when he gets down there, and the preacher doesn't even talk to him. He said, go tell Naaman to dip in the Jordan River. You know what that man did? He got mad at the preacher. I he's going to tell me something else. He had in his mind how he would be healed. And he thought he could buy the preacher to get healed. He had it in his mind because that was a Syrian way, Brother Gladman. That was the way they thought. He said, just go dip in the Jordan River. And uh, he took off and his, one of the servants with him chased him down and said, Naaman, Naaman, stop. If he'd asked you to do something great, like give a million bucks, you'd have done it to be healed. All he did was ask you to go to the water and, and dip seven times. He said, you know, what do you got to lose? You're going to die. Yeah, yeah. You know what he did? He went and dipped in the Jordan River. First time, dipped down in the water, submerged himself in the water, came up, he was a leper. Second time, still leper. Third time, still leper. When he came up the seventh time, his skin was pure and white. The leprosy was gone. Here, what am I saying? Is that the water wasn't what healed him. It was obedience to what God said to do is what healed him. Then he tried to pay him for it. And Elisha said, I don't want that. You can't pay for a miracle. How many know God paid it all at Calvary for your miracle? Anybody can be healed. Anybody can be delivered. Anybody can be set free. Amen. Baptism is on the same principle. You come to God dirty. You come to God unclean. You come to God leper. Sin is, a, is, is, is paralleled as a leprous disease. That's how leprosy. What is leprosy? Let's talk about leprosy. Leprosy causes you to not be able to feel pain. I know, I know a man right now has a type of that disease. He cannot, on a certain part of his body, he can lay his hand on a hot stove and not know it. Inability to feel the damage that is causing. And sin, a life of sin, is like leprosy. You, you, you can't feel the effect that it's having on your spiritual, mental, maybe even physical body. Leprosy is sin are paralleled. That's right. And that's why when you come and say, God, my life's broken. I'm a sinner. I made mistakes. I, I wish I could do things over. Is there anybody in the room that feels like you can do things over? Man, my hands are up. It really is. Man, I wish I'd have never said that. I wish I'd have never done that. I wish I'd never went down that path. I wish I'd never made those decisions. And you think, oh, man, I'm a sinner. I'm so unworthy. But then somebody says, have you heard God heals sinners? And you come to the Lord and say, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me. He said, repent, Acts 2.38. Would you throw it up there? Repent and be baptized every one of you. Watch what it says. Acts 2.38. They said, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. That means to be, your sins to be removed. That's right. Not just because, but in order to obtain. For Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. When Jesus went to the cross and they put 39 stripes on his back and he bled out of his head, he bled out of his hands. He bled out of his feet. He bled out of those 39 stripes on his back. When he did, the Bible says it was for our healing. His broke, he became broken so we could be put back together. He died so we could live. Amen. He took on the sin of man without sinning so we could put on the righteousness of God. He came down so we could go up. That's what Calvary's about, is that he became your substitute. It should have been you crucified. It should have been you punished for your deeds. But no, he said, instead of them being punished, I will take up on their punishment. Why? So they can get up. So they that were sinners can become righteous. Those that their minds and their spirit were broken can be well again. I just need a witness. Anybody ever been broken, but God put you back together? Hallelujah. My daddy used to sing a song in church, Brother Derek. He said, 
He said, once like a bird, in prison I dwelled. No freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and listened to me. Oh, glory to God. He set me free. It's not the will of God to be suicidal. It's not the will of God to stay in that state that you're in. It is the will of God to understand. He can break the chains of bondage. He can set you free from the burdens that you hold. Do you believe he can do that today? Amen. See, when sin gets a hold of your life, it always divides. It's like when leprosy gets a hold of your life. A leper. They would have a, a scab or something would show up and if the priest diagnosis said it's leprosy, you had to leave camp. You had to leave your family. There, there, there's, no, there's no more happy Hanukkahs if you're a Jew. You're, you're gone. You're isolated. You're not around the family. You go to a leper camp. Sin always separates. It always divides. It always excludes. Hear me. It always makes you feel isolated. Here's my point. Anytime sin comes into the picture, it will cause self-worth to decline. God said, I don't want my people to be ashamed, Joel chapter 2. He said, none of my people will ever be ashamed. He said, if they will come back to me, watch what he says. And I'm saying through the whole congregation, if we're not careful, even we as saints of God can listen to the wrong voice and remind us of where we used to be, and that's not who we are. That none of my people shall ever be what? Everybody shout, ashamed. Praise God. Shame is a terrible thing, isn't it? How many ever been ashamed? I teach that we should never tell our kids, shame on you. Because that's the most painful part of the cross is when he was hanging on the cross and he was, the Bible says, he endured the shame exposed before everybody. Well, I feel like preaching right now. I live for God, but I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of this and I'm ashamed of that. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, he didn't only take nails in his flesh. He took the shame of every sinner up on him. Why? So you don't have to live ashamed anymore. God can remove the shame. I'm preaching shame out of the room if you haven't noticed. You do not have to walk in shame because of things that you've done yesterday. Oh, clap your hands and say amen. Praise God. And I've learned that, that when you look at the parallel of Christ with our life, is that when Jesus was baptized and Scripture says, verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting up on him. I personally don't believe it was a physical dove. I believe it was the nature of the dove. Do you know a dove will not land on anything unclean? And the nature of the dove, come here, Brother Lee, the nature of the dove was almost like an embracing. This is awkward. But put your arms around me. The nature of a dove was almost coming down, embracing a nighness, a nearness to him. And what he was doing as the father to the son was he was embracing him. And he makes a statement. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's right. I don't think my book was here that I left last week, but I have in this Bible fit words or words fitly spoken. At front of this, I have someone that wrote a note in that, and I can never part with this Bible specifically because of one note that was written in that Bible from an elder from Brother Stone King to me. Why? Because it was a fit word that caused me to feel valued. It became an apple of gold and a picture of silver. Already we're valued individually. Can you say amen? But a word of encouragement, and that's what I've come to preach, that a word of encouragement brings value to the value. It's an apple of gold. It brings more wealth and more worth to the individual by a statement of encouragement. Anybody can give a critical tongue. Anybody can give a discouraging word. Anybody can say, this is wrong. How many know we all have flaws? But when a word is fitly spoken, have a minister's book my dad gave me to do funerals and baby dedications, things like that. In the front of that, he wrote a note to me that I could never part with. Why? It became an apple of gold in to a picture of silver. I want you to look at three or four people and say, you are valuable already. 
Now tell somebody, you are the picture of silver. Don't tell them they're hard-headed like silver plate. Don't, Don't tell them that. Just tell them they are a picture of silver. But what happened is, you're already valued, but you do not know it. But when God comes down and stamps his approval on your life, it becomes a picture of apple of gold on the picture of silver. And he comes down at Jesus' baptism and he said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, it's easy as a dad. The Bible says to provoke not your children to wrath. That means don't, don't discourage them to the point that their spirit is broken. You ignorant kid. You dummy. Quit acting like your mom's side of the family. I don't know who's saying that out there because I'd never say anything like that because I'm smarter than that. Quit acting like that. What are you doing? You're a mess up. You're going to end up in prison. You need to quit that. And what we do is we tell them what they are according to discouraging words until they become broken. He said, don't provoke your children to wrath to where their spirit becomes broken and they have no self-worth. It is the job of the father. It's the job of the parent to bring value to the children. This is... When I'm somewhere, I, I, don't, I, don't, I hear a kid out there, but there's no kids in here because they're in children's ministry. But when I'm, when I'm in a place, I don't care who it is. I have my children with me. I say, this is my son. Beloved son. There was a generation that believed that you should just, you know, show them love by providing for them, being tough, but never speaking that. But everybody in this room needs affirmation. Everybody. And there was a generation that never hugged, they never, they never showed affection, and they would never speak words of affirmation. It's quiet in here. No words of affirmation. I'll show them. I'll provide. I'll be around. But never I love you. It's wrong to not tell your family members I love you. Jesus, the Father, said to him, this is my beloved son. I love him. It's not the only time you'll feel it, it impacted Simon Peter so much that he recorded it. He said, when I was up in the mountain of transfiguration, he said, there was a voice that spoke out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Even they began to write about their children. Paul said about sons in the gospel. He said, this is my beloved son. It was the nature of Christians to show their affection for those that they loved. And in a world of hate and confusion, don't be like that man that told his wife when she said, you'll never say I love you. He said, I told you I loved you when I married you. If I ever changed my mind, I'll let you know. Don't be that guy. It's not right. You know why? Because life has transitions. Life has ups and downs. How many know we have ups and downs? I've preached here before, but I'm going to talk about it for a few moments here today. Everybody shout transition. Do you know there's a lot of transitions in life? How many remember transitioning from middle school to high school? Anybody remember that? So nervous what you're going to wear. Somebody's going to pick on you. You're going to be the freshman class. Here come the seniors that's 47 feet taller than you are. How many remember transitioning to elementary school and your mom sitting there crying? You get on the school bus. <laughs> She's got your backpack. She's got your, she's making sure that your apple and banana, peanut butter sandwich, little juice thing in there in that Scooby-Doo lunchbox. She's crying because her baby's growing up. Oh yeah, I'll never forget another transition of life was when you leave high school and you, you go on to independent, whether college or career or whatever. I remember sitting beside my mom in graduation. I was feeling a little bit ornery. My brother was graduating, walking across the stage, and there was this outside of our window under the awning, there was these birds that had we'd watch hatch out. And when my brothers walked across the stage, I said, Mom, I said, you know those birds flew out of that nest today. My brother is graduating, getting his diploma, and I told her, I said, the baby birds flew out. She started crying and squalling right there in the graduation room. It was bad, but it felt fun at the moment. I don't know why. No, I can't remember what happened after that moment. 
She might have smacked me. I don't know. Transitions of life. There are transitions that we go through life. How about being single to getting married? Oh, my lands. That's a transition. Here's one for you. How about being married and having children? Our Father which art in heaven. I said the theme song of that is simply this. My life is not my own. To those children. (laughs) Can I get a witness from somebody right now? It's a transition. How about going from being an employee to the employer? Oh, everybody loved you when you was just one of the employees, but when they made you the boss. It's a transition of life. How about going from strong into midlife crisis? Man, I'm going to hit a sore spot now, but all of a sudden the lady starts having hot flashes and menopause. I don't know anything about that because I'm a 40-year-old guy, amen. But I remember my mom started having hot flashes. It is a transition. And the, and the well, it's getting tight in here, but I'm on it. I'm on it. He wants to yell a Mustang. He goes and buys him a souped-up Harley, whatever it is. You know how it is. And uh, why? Because it's a middle-life crisis. It's a transition. And one thing I've learned is transitions always bring voices throughout your whole life. And we need fit words, not every day, but key moments in our life that there are fit words. And uh, how about going from a saint or a sinner to a saint? How about when you came to the Lord? Were there not voices of affirmation or voices of discouragement? How about going from a saint to becoming a minister? Amen. Everybody shout transitions. Anybody's ever been through some transitions? Many of us in the room are in transitions. Had a man call me one time and he said, Pastor, he said, matter of fact, he called me Aaron. He said, I was, I was in prayer. He said, I have, I have been in transition to become the pastor of the church that I've attended for many years. And he said, in that transition, he said, I feel darkness around me. I feel discouraged. He said, I was praying because I've been dealing with it for some time. And he said, I was praying. I said, God, what do I do with this darkness that surrounds me? And he said, he said, God spoke to me and said to call you that you'd have the answer for me. Well, immediately, just the way God, God works, God spoke to me and he said, tell him it's nothing more than a distraction. And I told him, I said, it's a distraction. It's not of God. You are who you are when you are in prayer and when you are preaching. Do not believe what that voice is telling you from without. Man, God began to move. We both began to cry. We felt the, we felt the witness of that from God's spirit. And the, the, when I got off the phone, I said, I said to him, Brother Ronnie, I said to God, I said, Lord, what do you mean that it was a distraction? If I've ever heard the voice of God, God spoke to me very clear. He said, Nabal was a distraction to David when he was transitioned to become the king of Israel. I've heard of Nabal for the Zion. But I didn't know who Nabal was. So I word searched Nabal. N-A-B-A-L. 1 Samuel 25. The Bible says that, the Bible says that Samuel died. David arose. And there was a man by the name of Nabal who was, who was a churlish man or an evil man. And the Bible says, but there was an Abigail that was of a beautiful countenance and a woman of understanding. And the Lord has said that Nabal was a voice of distraction. And I feel like preaching for a little while about a word fitly spoken. And here it is, Samuel. I did a study one time and I was praying. And and, uh, are you all okay out there? Can I take my time a little bit here this morning? And, And I want you to understand the validity of the baptism of Jesus by the parallel of King David. And... uh, I was getting ready to preach about this because when David was out in the wilderness, he's transitioned to become the king of Israel. David looks out. He's out in the wilderness. He's got 600 men with him. There are sheep and goats. He's not seeing sheep and goats. He's hungry. How I many know you don't ever send a hungry man to the grocery store? My wife, I come home one time. She said, what are you doing with 10 boxes of cereal? I was hungry. How I many know you're hungry? You go, everything looks good. Man, you buy enough steaks to grill out for a month. You know, you just, just, here he is. He's out in the woods. He's hungry. He looks around and he's not seeing, he's not seeing sheep. He's looking at lamb chops. 
He said, go ask the man that owns this territory if we can have some food. They go there. They get to Nabal's house, and they make a statement. They said, hey, we've come in the name of David. David, we just want to know we're hungry. Can we? He hasn't touched one of the servants. He hasn't killed any of the sheep or taken any of the goats. Would you provide anything for us to eat? He said, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Who, who is David? He wasn't saying, you know, I've never heard of this guy. I'd like to, but I don't know who this guy is. No, everybody knows who David is. If there was a Times Square in Jerusalem, he would have had a statue on the side of the stone buildings. Every little kid's running around with a slingshot in their hand. Even the enemy camps know about a boy that killed a Goliath with a slingshot in the stone. Everybody knows who David is. He was not saying, who is David? He was saying, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? And I was praying one time because when they returned and they didn't have any mules with any food on it, there's nothing on it, David said, where's the food? What happened? He said, who is David? You know, David got so angry that he pulled his sword out, got 400 men, was going to go to that man's house, kill him and, and, and every guy that lived there. And I asked God one time, I said, why in the world would Nabal chase after, why in the world would David chase after Nabal? And God, God revealed to me is because Nabal was this voice of destruction that was speaking to David's insecurity. And I asked God, I said, why? Why would he get so upset over a voice that does not matter? And I'm going to tell you what I feel in this room. Some of you are in transitions, but you are listening to voices that do not matter. Voices that are impacting you emotionally, but they have no hold on your future unless you allow them to have a hold on your future. I want everybody to shout with me, God has my future. Here's what I feel. It's voices of the past that are trying to hold you from the greatness of your future. But we're not going to listen to those voices today. We're not going to listen to those voices. So I asked myself a question. Brother Kevin, I said, why? Why did they get so... Why did he get so upset? And I went to bed one night. I read from chapter 16 all the way to chapter 30 trying to figure out why David got so angry at this, at this, at this guy. Why did he get so upset? And I went to bed thinking this. Who was David's mother? I just never thought about it. I know his father was Jesse, but who in the world was David's mother? Brother Jake, uh, I went to bed that night and the next day I got up at a conference getting ready to preach and a a guy got up and preached before me and I was getting ready to preach on what's called the two voices of transition which I'm talking about right now because I feel to but a guy got up before me and you know what he preached on? he preached on who was David's mother isn't that something how that works? never thought of it in my life and he preached he said that his mother according to Jewish tradition had been falsely accused and that David was born uh, from, an, from an affair and it was an assumption it was, really wasn't true but Jesse thought that and David writes in Psalm 69 he said I was a stranger in my own house I was an alien to my own brothers they say that David and his mother would have had to grow up he would have had to eat in a small table alongside though he was in the house he was not allowed at the father's table David grew up feeling that he was not his father's son isn't it amazing that when God speaks to the prophet Samuel, he said, get down to Jesse's house because I'm going to anoint one of his sons to be the king of Israel. And they get down to Jesse's house, and when they get down there, Samuel says, the Lord has sent me to anoint one of your sons to be the king. Eliab, all the way down, seven sons are invited, are invited to this really anointing service for the next king. And he looks at him, he said, none of these are the king. Do you have any more sons? I've got one down in the field. He's keeping the sheep. He said, we're not going to sit, sit down until he gets here. And when David comes over that hill from being a shepherd, one of the servants or whoever went to get him, when he, when he was coming over that hill, God spoke to Samuel and said, this is him. People believe that's the first time that David realized and Jesse realized he was really his father's son. It was a voice of Samuel that said, you do belong here. There is value in your future. I know you've been discouraged. I know you've been rejected, but I've got an anointing for you. I've got a purpose for you, and I've got a destiny for you. I'm preaching to you. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what the brothers have said. If God says you've got a future, you've got a future. You cannot listen to the voice of your past.
Somebody say amen. And it was this voice of Nabal that didn't just say, who is David? He said, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Samuel's dead. And the insecurity somehow still lies within this man of God who's a giant killer. But you know what it does? He takes off chasing Nabal. I want you to shout with me. Get rid of the voice of Nabal. How do you do it? By ignoring it. You know how you ignore the voice of Nabal? Shut off social media if you have to. Disconnect from some things if you have to. Stay away from certain places if you have to. Wherever the voice says, it's doom and gloom, it's over, there's no future. And I know what I'm preaching right now because I feel my help coming up on me. You gotta make sure that you realize if it's a voice of despair, it is not of God. You gotta stand up and say, there is a great future for me. My time is not done. It is not over. Would you clap your hands and thank God for his word? Amen. Somebody shout, the best is yet to come. Watch this. And so David, David is chasing Nabal. And this woman by the name of Abigail, Nabal's wife, she starts putting a, a meal together. A uh, hundred clusters of raisins. She's got, she's got all this lamb fixed. She's got, she's got figs. I call them fig newtons. Y'all remember eating fig newtons when you were younger? All this. I mean, she's got mules with this loaded. She gets it because somebody said, have you heard David's on his way? Have you heard what your husband said to, the, to David? Have you heard? She says, oh, we got to stop this. She takes this food. Good way to get to a man's heart, isn't it? She takes this food and she's headed that way. And David is coming with fury. His face is red. The veins are popped out in his neck. He's got a sword drawn. He's ready to destroy the voice. And Abigail stops him and she falls to her knees. She said, David, stop. Listen to me. And that's what I feel like today, Brother Nehemiah. Stop. Listen, I've got something else to tell you. She said, don't pay attention to my husband. She said, he is what his name means, which means a fool. She said, don't pay attention to him. Don't listen to him. Don't you go hurt him. She said, I want you to listen to me. And this is what she said. You are who God says you are. There's a great future for you. Don't you let the past dig up in your spirit. God's got something great. You know what God did? God himself removed the voice of Nabal. And he died. And you know what happened? David ends up marrying Abigail. And I just feel like preaching to you for a little while today. I'll be done in a few moments. I'm a little longer than I planned. But I want to tell you right now, you have a choice. Which voice are you going to listen to? Which voice are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to the voice that says, you don't have anything. Speak to your insecurity. It's over. Or you're going to listen to the voice of God that says, it doesn't matter what was behind you. I've got something great ahead of you. Come on, anybody believe that God has something great ahead of you? Come on, there's some ministries that are in this room. There's some purpose in this room that is here. Amen. Leave Nabal alone and embrace Abigail. So let's go back to the text today, Matthew 3. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is 30 years old. He's going from the carpenter's son into his ministry. Everybody knows him up to this point as simply Joseph's son. But how many know he was the son of God? He's going into his ministry. And the voice that speaks. This is my beloved son. And I'm pleased with him. Watch what happens three verses later. The Bible says, And when he had fasted 40 days, 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came, somebody shout, the devil. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Isn't it amazing that God said, this is my beloved son, and then the voice of Satan comes three verses later and said, if thou be the son of God. The enemy's trying to bring doubt where God has purpose. Everybody shout, I have a future in him. I find it interesting that in the New Testament when people were baptized, when they would repent and say, God, I give you my future. I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sins. And they'd take them baptize them. You know what would happen when they come up out of the water? The same thing that happened to Jesus would happen on them and the Holy Ghost would fall upon them. And they would begin to speak in a heavenly language as God gave them the ability to speak. You know why? Because it was God's voice affirming them in his kingdom. You know what they would say? The wonderful works of God. I'll never forget February the 22nd, 1987, I was praying in church. I was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It was at a children's revival. I stepped out of my seat when the altar call was given, lifted my hands. I wanted God so bad in my life. 
I wanted to be filled with the Spirit. I'll never forget when I lifted my hands toward heaven and I began to pray. And I was just worshiping God as a little small kid. All of a sudden, I felt heaven open up on my life. I began to pray in a language I did not understand. And I'm going to tell you something. It was affirming to me. It was a word fitly spoken in my spirit that realized I am his son. This isn't a religion. This is a relationship. And I want everybody in the room to know you can have a relationship with God, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. Would you stand to your feet and clap your hands to the Lord? Come on, would you clap your hands to God and say amen. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Everybody say a word fitly spoken. God has a plan for your life. I want us to pray right now all over the room. God, we love you. We thank you for your word and who you are and what you're doing. Lord, I have felt your spirit in here, but we are at transitions. And God, voices speak that tear our emotions apart, our mind apart. But I'm praying right now, God, that your spirit would speak to us today. That we would understand that there's value in us. It becomes apples of gold on an already valued picture of silver. I pray your spirit would move and heal and touch every person under the sound of my voice. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. That's what salvation's about. It's about taking the failures giving it to God the Lord's saying you're not a failure you're my son now let's do it my way I've got something much better for you have you ever been broken nobody's ever had a transition in your life that you felt broken yeah somehow the hand of God reaches down into your spirit heard a man heard a story one time about a, an auction that was going on Said at the auction they got this fiddle out. Set it up there and said, Who'll give me one dollar? Who'll give me two? Who'll give me three? Somewhere in the auction there was a man that walked out of the crowd and went up there and took the violin. Blew the dust off of it. Started tuning it. He rosined up the bow. Playing that fiddle. So the auction changed at that moment and said, Who'll give me a thousand? Who'll give me two thousand? Who'll give me three? And someone asked, they said, What was the difference in the fiddle? And somebody responded, It was just the touch of the master's hand. And what you need today is what I can't do, it's what you can't do. What's going to bring you value today is simply the touch of the master's hand amen my grandmother used to sing in church with a falsetto falsetto she was 90 pounds soaking wet big white hair she'd sing with a falsetto soprano voice shackled by heavy burden how many's ever been there neath the load of guilt and shame but then the hand of Jesus touched me and now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something Happen, and now I know He touched me and made me hold. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I pray today for every person that's gathered in this room. I don't know what they've been through or dealt with in the last week, but I do know that God, your voice, is a word fitly spoken that brings value to where you've already had value. It just allows them to see the value carved into who they are. I pray right now against the voice of discouragement. 
In the name of the Lord that today what's missing is God your voice in their world. The voice of the Father. The voice of the affirmation. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every heart in this room would be touched. Every life in this room would be changed. God, you would move on the inside. Work your way to the outside. God, where they're insecure, they would be healed. For God, greater things are yet to come. Greater things are to be done. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Today in this altar, there's a place for prayer, for a moving of God's Spirit. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, I need a touch of God, would you raise your hand? I see hands are all over the building. You're saying, I need a touch of God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, I have felt disconnected from God, but I'm listening to the wrong voice. I know God has value in my life. Would you raise your hand? I see so many hands in this room. I'm going to give an altar call and I want us to come to the altar. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God. They're going to begin to sing right now. Sister Lauren, if you would. Right now, all over this room, I'm asking everybody that would come to this altar. Everybody in the room that can. I want you to come and say, there will be a transition if it's not now. I don't want to listen to the wrong voice. I don't want to listen to the voice of the enemy. That brings the if of question if I'm valued. There is a purpose. And there is a destiny. Talk to the Lord the way you would me today. I need you, God. Jesus' name.